Hi, welcome to Agora Community Radio, the podcast for artists in the animation industry who want to listen and learn on the go. This episode is from our A Conversation With series, where we invite pros from all walks of our industry to have a chat with us about their background and experiences, and then we finish it off with a little Q&A from the audience. You can always head on over to our website, agora.community, to watch the full video, or if you just want to listen to what we think are the most interesting bits and pieces of these conversations, you can listen to the Agora Bytes clips on this channel. And now, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Hello. Welcome to A Conversation With. As usual, we have David here, um, which I'll bring in in a minute, but not before I talk about our guest very briefly. Um, so today we have on the stream someone I have had the pleasure of working with uh, while I was at IDOS Montreal. I spent um, a, t- a stint of time on Guardians of the Galaxy, um, the game, uh, which um, Amy DeBarl, she was the uh, the executive narrative director. Well, she's an executive narrative director. Sorry, I can't say that quickly. Executive narrative director um, at IDOS Montreal. And so um, she ends up naturally on a lot of the bigger projects like this one. Uh, it was, uh, I really had fond memories of being there. It was, uh, it was a, a lot of fun. The narrative as if anyone who's played the game or have, have read the reviews, uh, you already know that it's, it's got a very quirky personality and it's resonating really well with the people that are, that are playing it. Um, I have to say, it's funny because I was really intimidated when I met, um, 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 Mary, because, she actually had a chance to work on a, a brand that is one of the first video game licenses that I ever played. Um, it was well down the, the road by the time I think she worked on it as far as sequels is concerned, but she actually had, she was actually working on Myst. I don't know if anyone's ever played a Myst game, but these are like legendary games from back in the day because of their visualizations and they're very, very story driven. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, I, when I found out that she had worked on a bunch of those, I was just like, wow. Um, so um, quite the legend she's very very awesome i'm glad that she could make it to this particular chat um let's bring in david and we'll uh, get the party started david let's get this party started let's do it yeah i'm definitely sharing uh, everything that you've uh, the, that you've mentioned for having the the, the chance to to work with uh, mary uh, myself um yeah we're trying to bring a lot of you know different expertise a lot of different uh, uh personas to to this show so th- this one will be very interesting to have the perspective more from the narrative side yeah. uh, creating characters stories uh and all that so um so yeah that'll be a fun one for sure yeah i think it's important that because i mean if you're working as an animator on a on a game um and you happen to be working for say the narrative department or the the, the cut scene or like the department that's handling the cut scene animations um, you know, this is a perfect example of the type of person you would actually end up working with someone who's worried about the actual dialogue, someone who's worried about the overall arcing story, who has a team of writers that are breaking things down and all essentially, it's like the foundation of what an animator would then come in and then try to actually realize. So uh, it's nice to get a little bit of fresh perspective on what it's like to live on that other side of the coin, right? So let's bring her in and she can tell us all about that. Hello, Mary, welcome to the conversation. Hi, thanks. It's really fun to be here. Mary, I'm tempted to start with, so for anyone in the audience right now that is not uh, familiar with what a narrative director is doing, especially Mm -hmm. in video game. So let's just start by, you know, setting the stage of what is your work? What is your responsibility on a game such as Guardian of the Galaxy? 
Okay. Um, the way I look at being a narrative director, I guess the sometimes I like to equate uh, equate it to being a showrunner on TV. Mm. Kind of. Um, mm. I work with the creative core of the team. Usually, the creative core consists of the game director, who is game director slash creative director. Um, and then of course there's like the gameplay directors, the art directors, the animation directors. I work with, with all these people to define in the beginning, what is the game experience? What is the player fantasy? What is this game that we're making going to be? And then my job specifically becomes, okay, work more closely with the game director to craft a story, to basically come up with what is the story? What are the characters? I lead a team of writers who then start helping me to flesh out the story, help flesh out those characters. And then I'm constantly like running between making sure that the, the story we're creating is working with the gameplay, it's being told through the gameplay. That's the connection I have with the game play director. Um, working with the artists to kind of say, you know, well, here's the story, here's the character, where how can you in the in the concept art, how can you express these characters? How can you express these environments, support all these themes? Uh, working with the cinematics director when the scripts are done to basically say, you know, here's the script, let's talk about it, let's talk about the emotions, the feeling, how are you guys going to start realizing it, um, being present during a lot of the recording sessions to ensure that the actors, uh, you know, A, that the actors understand, the director is going to do a lot of that, but I'm there to answer the big overarching questions and also to help because sometimes when you write a script, when an actor has to say it, they can't say the line and then I have to be there to kind of fix that. So it kind of encompasses all aspects of story and the implementation of story in the game. So it's really boring. You don't have a lot of things to do is what you're saying. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. No, no. Okay. Okay. That's what I got out of that. It sounded like it was really not a lot. Good. Good. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's awesome. I mean, for having seeing you on a production floor going from meetings to meeting to department to department and with your team and, and, and all that, that that it's it's very interesting because there's the director aspect of it which means that you represent you know your own team and your you are in charge to make sure that with all of the other team you're um, uh you're you're kind of on the uh, on the same page in terms of okay here's the game that we're doing that's all push in the same same direction and obviously in game is just a crazy marathon so everyone is going in their own direction and you're you're constantly trying to bring mm -hmm. everyone to together um and there's also the uh, narrative aspect of uh, telling a, a story do you still have time at all to 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 write or to develop characters or or is it mm -hmm. A little bit in the beginning, but then it's just chaos management, and maybe that <laughs> this this train is going in the right direction. Um, it's a lot of chaos management, not in the beginning. I mean, in the beginning, when you're developing the game and you're developing it, I'm I'm often one of the only writers involved, so I am at that point doing a lot of the writing and doing a lot of the setting of the stages. Um, but certainly, as as I've become more and more dependent on the, my writing staff. It becomes much more that I'm I'm discussing with them. They are then presenting me with scripts. I'm giving them feedback and, and on their scripts and basically um, reading them and saying, well, this part's not working, or have you considered this, or what about this aspect of the character, and and pushing it. And then and then I do get to write um, at times if nothing is working out. Um, if like they just aren't getting it. If people just aren't getting what I have in mind, then I might have to take it and I might write it 
and say, this is what I have in mind. But um, I don't like doing that. I mean, I do like doing that, but I prefer to do it and then say, this is what I have in mind. Now make it good. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> you rewrite it, you rewrite it and, and make it better. Okay. So, yeah. so this is the bad it. version. Make the good version of this, please. That'd be great. Exactly. Exactly. It's funny because I feel like, you know, having watched you because I was I was there early on in the project and it really felt like the narrative department on these projects, they start in a very push kind of oriented role. They're pushing a lot of information. And then towards the end, it's a lot of like, oh, my God, pulling because it's like there's at that point. And if anyone's ever shipped a game before, it gets very chaotic, like uh, David and, and Mary, Mary were both sort of indicating. And a lot of things are happening at the same time. Like it's kind of ridiculous. The the crazy spike that happens at the very end end and like you watch you at the end of the project when you look at a build one day and then the next day it's almost like a completely different game there's so much stuff that's entering this game especially with these big teams and so i see you know people like you know narrative directors are often running around trying to make sure that they catch disconnects and consistency mm -hmm. issues mm -hmm. and considering games are much less linear than like a typical film though those inconsistencies could literally be everywhere and so yeah. i can only imagine the kind of firefighting that you would have to do putting out a game with that much story in it at the end yes yes um well i would say that that's the interesting thing about being a writer not just a narrative director but being a writer in a game is that at times you are the one who's leading it you're writing the dialogues you're putting them down you're 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 doing this but other times there's this moment where the, it switches and it switches from oh my god i've got to react to what is in front of me on on the screen um like because when you're building a story you have the, the story idea you have the plot you have all these characters you kind of break it out you create what we create this blueprint and once it's a blueprint of the story then that's when it starts going out to level design teams gameplay etc and they start creating the levels and at that point they're throwing their ideas in and exactly. you as a writer now have to react to those ideas as you were exactly. saying and you have to say yeah. like whoa 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 okay now that's not how i saw it but actually yeah. there's something really cool in what you're doing but i gotta fix it i gotta i gotta yeah. make it make narrative cool that's it yeah, there's like a balance of like, oh, leaving an open mind and heart to some great ideas that iterate from that nest egg that you gave them versus them coming up with maybe a possibly amazing idea that just doesn't fit in logically to the story or who knows what, right? Like, yes. it's a lot of both, I would imagine. Yeah, there is a yeah. lot of both. Um, trying to, try, because also the one thing that, and I think this is one of the reasons I love working in games is, it is a collaborative medium and it is where there are tons of creative people with different skills mm. who are invested in it and who are bringing their skill to the table like i'm not an animator i can write on the page you know oh he mm. does a triple jump axle whatever okay but <laughs> but it's like well wait a minute the animator's got to say that's not really physically possible so <laughs> can we change that can we do stuff so ha and then having all those people bringing their own ideas and creativity to the table. Um, it's it's definitely, I think it makes it better, but it's also a challenge because you are always dealing with the people who are like, I like yeah. this idea, why doesn't it work? And it's like, well, it's a great yeah. idea, but it doesn't work because X, yeah. Y, and Z happened nope. before it and all this stuff is gonna happen after and it, it'll yeah. be weird. A lot of so, educating. Yes, yes. To make sure that they understand the reasons why the, the ideas may not fit or, or why, why some might. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So, uh, Mary, one of the collaboration that we did uh, uh, together when you were narrative director and I was cinematic director on uh, on DSX was those, you know, especially uh, on the shoot when there's some uh, collaboration going on. And 
on other projects, I, I, I feel like I've seen two sides of the spectrum. On the one side, we had a script that we were told, but you know, it's kind of along the lines of and do something cool. And there's <laughs> other script that literally if the actor was changing one word, it was, it was a no-go. No, 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 it needs to be exactly that. Where do you personally lie on this spectrum in terms of, you know, here's what the narrative team is bringing, but then you're being, have ideas being pushed back either by the cinematic department, or it could be by the uh, actors directly, or it could be by the storyboard artists that just have this happy accident and there's this cool idea. Mm. Uh, what, what is your mindset about this uh, collaboration? Uh, my mindset is is generally to be open uh, to all that collaboration. I, I was very lucky with my first um, my first game experience. The act I was it was writing for Mist Three, Exile, mm. and the actor who played the villain in it was Brad Dourif. Um, people oh, man. Would, might know him as Grima Wormtongue from Lord of the Rings exactly. or, or the Doctor in Deadwood, etc. Um, and I was really super lucky to work with him because he, yes, Chucky, he's Chucky too. So, <laughs> um, because he's a he's a writer's actor, he insisted on like meeting me ahead of time and saying, "I want to understand what your intent is in these scenes, mm. and I want to make sure that I'm bringing it to it." And then he would also open up like he'd be like, well, from the actor's perspective, that's not working. You know, I can't feel mm. it. I can't do that. And so I very quickly learned to trust the actors. And, and because, because I'm not an actress, I'm not an actor. Mm. So I, I quickly learned to trust that and to see how their talent brings it to a higher level. And the same goes with the cinematics, uh, the storyboard artists, the, the cinematic team, et cetera. They have a visual sense that I don't necessarily have. I I'm, tend to be a visual writer, but I trust their experience more. So when they're suggesting things, my job basically becomes, I need to listen to what they're saying. I need to understand why they want to do it. And I need to make sure that they understand the heart and the intention of where we're going. Um, and when, I, and that's why I like being on set with the actors too, because I like to, you know, it's like, yeah, we, we say, we write things on the page, we hear it in our heads as writers and it, it sounds super mm. easy. And then you're mm -hmm. listening to them and they're struggling to get that word out. Um, and there have been times when I have to, I've had to insist that they keep a specific word because I knew that in other scenes, mm. there were other things that were being set up. Yeah. Um, but most of the time, it's like if they're saying the heart of what I need to be said and they're not using my words, that's fine. Um, yeah. As long as the intention is there. Yeah, that so continuity thing. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, David. I was just going to say that for Guardians of the Galaxy, that has like five hours of cutscene <laughs> and an insane amount of, you know, banter and narrative element within the game. That's a lot of information you have to keep in your head when you're going on, on a shoot with actors to make sure that the change is not going to contradict any of those other elements because at some point it, it becomes a domino effect and <laughs> and you can break a, a lot of things. So it's uh it's pretty impressive. <laughs> That's what to say. It's it's the kind of thing I like to do though. I mean I like to keep the I I, I tend to have a very deep logical sense uh for story as well and and I like to keep that. I'm I failed at times it's you're right and then you're just like well, okay well how do we fix that later maybe nobody will notice that so. there's a clicking sound and i'm trying to figure out what it is do you guys hear it yeah i hear it too 
<laughs> so, I mean, a minute ago. Yeah, I don't know. It I sounds like a. It, you don't hear it, huh? No. I think it's Mary's cat that is starting to. Uh... <laughs> yeah, that's that's the first thing I thought. I thought maybe it was sitting on the microphone and it's like giving us a little bit of a a little bit of a no. show, but no, hold he's on a far away. But I have had other people. It's probably is with my mic because I've had I've been in Zoom meetings, and they've they've told me, "Is your cat?" Oh yeah. Mary? Okay. So well, I'm yeah. Gonna... We're just we're we're gonna run with it. I I just I I didn't know if I was going crazy. I thought I was having a stroke or something. So, um continuity in a game with that much content like david's suggesting is got to be like trying to find a needle in the haystack sometimes though because you end up with like you know what people don't necessarily always remember is that cutscenes are are not the only narrative device in a game there are a lot of scripted events there are other forms depending on the type of game we're dealing with um and so you know then there's different teams that are working on this so like I mean, what's your strategy on making sure, like, because a game that big is not, you can't, you can't possibly sit down every day and play the whole game, right? No, no, no. not at all. So how, um, how do you attack that? Well, I'm going to add, before saying how I attack it, I have to add the other complication on it for writing, um, which is that often you have to write the entire thing out of order. Um, you're not writing, like, mm, as a screenwriter, you can sit there and write, a script from start to finish and then you can perfect it and then they shoot it but for us when working on a game every department has different um requirements they have a different schedule so to speak so like in the case of guardians to get all the cutscenes done in shippable time we had to actually write most of the cutscenes before we wrote most of the missions um, or we were doing it simultaneously we were we were so so you're actually writing scenes that you don't know what came before it um and yeah. you're hoping that it all that sounds easy um and some yeah of you're doing a lot of this yeah yeah you are you're really you're really doing a lot of this and um you're often arguing with production because production tends to look in terms of schedules and saying mm. well it's and the bulk of the team has to work on chapter four first because that's yeah. the challenge for the team and it's like yeah but we haven't gotten to chapter four we don't know what happened in chapter one yet so how can yeah. we do that so yeah. sometimes there's a fight within production to to convince them how can we manage this how can we we break it into doing certain things in order um and yet still front loading so so that's one of the big challenges but it, the reality is you can you can you can't depend on it being from beginning to end yeah but you yeah. can mitigate it as much as you can by yeah. looking at it and front loading and like for example i said we did cinematic scenes before we often did a lot of the in-game banters mm -hmm. um but we kind of knew where we were going with these and we got those tent poles in uh and we were able to do that and then it's then it's a matter of constantly you know checking scripts rereading re rewriting we went through many many iterations and i'm not the only one who's the watchdog of this um, mm. I have the other people who are playing right. the game all the time, one of whom is the game director. The game director is playing it all the time. And um, I've been very lucky to work with uh, Jean-Francois Dugas as my creative director for a long time, and he's story-oriented. Yeah. Um, so he's kind of catching things and, and, yeah. and stuff as well. So Yeah, you share um, the responsibility a little bit as far as the, 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 exactly. the big overarching vision. So you have more than one set of eyes, basically, on the game at any given time. Exactly, yeah where do you even start so let's say okay it's been announced you guys are working in a marvel game uh, and there's a blank page 
where do you even begin in terms of what inspiration to start with the story and what is the creative process just to get an idea of okay let's go in this direction and then the story evolves for a couple of years well anytime we start working on a game if it's no matter what it is we we want to start by doing research by understanding the essence so for marvel's guardians of the galaxy it's like okay we have to make a guardians of the galaxy game so what do we do first and the first thing we do in, in terms of well we're having dialogues with marvel game studios to say where is our room to play are we supposed to be this 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 and um, they were great to say, we want you to make your own original take on the Guardians. So once we have that, it's like, all right, well, then we've got to immerse ourselves in everything Guardians. We watch all the movies again. We watch some of the animated films. We read <laughs> countless, countless um, comic books that feature the characters and all that stuff. And as we start doing that, then we start saying, okay, what is the essence of this franchise what are the essence of this and for us that's how we very quickly came up with the idea that well what's really cool about this is the guardians themselves how they're all really unique characters and how cool it would be to hang out with them mm. and when we come upon that decision then we come upon the decision well then we can only play peter quill we have to play peter um we can't play them all because the fun is hanging out with them and and seeing how having to react to the crazy quirky things that they do um and to try and lead them so we kind of start from there um we start brainstorming locations settings stuff like that and then as all of this is coming i start realizing i'm oh and we also pick a theme that we want to work with um and once those things start falling together it's like i i almost describe it as like um, I'm pulling all the ingredients into the pot and then I'm seeing and stirring it. And then I'm pulling out of the pot, mm. the story that starts forming in my head. So it kind of goes from there. Do, do you feel it's one of the, if not the funnest part of the, uh, of the process? It is. Yes. Well, it's hard to say the funnest because number one, it's terrifying. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> it, is, it is terrifying because you're like, I'm not sure what I want to do here. And then when you're building yeah. a story, you're like, you get excited by ideas, but then you're like, but they don't make any sense. And then you get terrified because how do I make all this fit together and all that stuff. Um, but it is exciting because you have ideas and you have things. It's just, just like the world. It, 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 it's like, there's so much you can, you're not into the constraints a hundred percent yet. As things start forming, you get into the constraints. Um, but I would say at the same time, some of the, it's not the only time that it's the be best fun because there'd be times when like, especially on guardians, I'd assign a scene to a writer. Um, and basically they're, they, we talked about the scene ahead of time saying, you know, this, this needs to be a scene between these two characters and the, the emotional context is this, um, and we need to learn this information. So go run with it. And then when they read, they give me the script and I'm like, oh my God, this is great. They got it. They understood it. And there's so yeah. much joy. Um, or there might be a moment where you're like, oh, they didn't quite get it. And now I got to mm, figure out how to fix yeah. that and then communicate. But when you see it and when you get it, then it's a lot of fun. You know, on the stream, we talk a lot about how animators um, are in a similar position where we there's a lot of we put a lot of our our ourself into the work that we do, and so it, I think it must be equally 
terrifying to you when you put out because a lot a lot of these ideas are yours right you're putting them out there and you're you know like you feel like you you know people are going to be having an opinion on that and you 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 know it must make you feel vulnerable and i'm sure even after the many years of doing this it probably still feels a little bit like that just like animators they it never really quite goes away they're really they just have to learn how to embrace it somehow i i find i won the um one thing that i noticed that i've never been on a team that does this and i i always one of the my fondest memories of that project wore the table reads on Friday nights. Yep. Um, it, it was, so in my mind, that was like your safe bubble that you could allow your team and yourself to prototype and get a feel for these scripts. So this is before doing table reads with actors, which is something that is also something that you would do, but I've never seen it done like this, where like you do the first round, almost like a litmus test, like a tone test of some of these, these, these dialogue based scenes. And what would happen is we would show up like in, in a, in a boardroom with snacks, always had to be snacks. And we would sit around and take turns playing the different roles and just read through the scripts and just see how it feels, you know? And I remember like, and then, and then everyone had an opinion. Everyone would be like, yeah, it feels a little awkward, but this, and, and then you were taking all this stuff in, you had your own opinions. That must be, is that like, is that always the way you've done it? Or is that something you've learned to do over the years? I didn't do it on any project before. Oh, interesting. One. But I, hmm. but I formed the idea because of my experience on other projects. Um, okay. One of the things I, I realized is that um, for writing, you know, when you're writing dialogues, the, the, the best thing you can do is to hear someone else read your work. Totally. Because when you yeah. write it, you always hear it delivered the way you expect it delivered yeah, and you the hear best, and it but, flows yeah. perfectly, yeah, you know? Totally. Um, and so I always knew that the best way to do this was to read the scripts out loud. Um, and so on this project, uh, I, I admit I was little, you were talking about the anxiety and the, the you know, mm. it's like, I got to share this and it's very, I feel vulnerable. I was nervous with the group to say, let's start doing this because mm. I knew that vulnerability myself. Yeah. And I knew they were probably feeling it and I didn't want to force yeah. something. Um, yeah. But we started doing it and it, and it helped. You mentioned, you know, snacks. Well, there was also, it was beer time. So that kind of helped with the, <laughs> the <impurities. does> <laughs> Yes, liquid, um, liquid bravery. So, so, but we started doing it and, and, um, gradually we perfected the, I mean, because first it was just like, let's just get together and read scripts. You know, we perfected the process over time in which it became more than just let's read the scripts. It became, okay, mm. let's read the scripts. Um, and then when people are reading them, let's like people after it's read will volunteer to give the writer feedback later. Yep. Okay. Um, mm. because when you're in the room reading the scripts out, you're getting yeah. an initial feel, you're getting a reaction, yep. you're getting this, but it's really more valuable as well to then have that feedback given to you later on individually. Yeah. And one of the other things that, that it succeeded in doing was, was building a camaraderie between the, the writers. Yes. So everybody became like and very supportive of each other. But not just writers. I thought that was part of the secret sauce. You invited some other people from other peripheral departments yes. into that meeting. And I think that was pure genius because now you're also building rapport and a camaraderie even of, on the people who would eventually need to make these things a reality and put them into the game, right? Yes, yes, we did. Yeah. It, we, basically, we opened it to anyone who wanted to join us. Yeah. Um, not a lot of people always did, but we opened it up to anyone on the team who wanted to join us. Um, and us. getting that insight from other people was was very valuable. And then later on, as we were doing it, um, and by then we were starting to do the actual recording. So if the actors happened to be in the studio on a Friday, we invited them. 
So then we'd get them to, and they'd be like, they were most of, most of the time they were super excited to do it. They're like, oh, hey, we get to read a first draft or something. This is going to be fun. <laughs> and, and then we'd get to hear them perform mm -hmm. a first draft of the script that's not even ready per se. Um, but it helped because it helped solidify the voices of the characters. Totally. Um, as we came to love it. So, yeah. Yeah. So is that it a was definitely, it was definitely a good process and it's definitely one that I'm going to emulate from now on nice. um, on every project I'm on. Yeah. This was uh, an ensemble cast. So I'd imagine it would be even more important, right? Because there were so many different voices in this game, right? Oh yes. Yes. Yeah. And that, that was one of the rules because the rule was you could not read your own script. So then other hmm. people in the room had to volunteer to do the different voices. And that became <laughs> part of the fun too, because a bunch of the people were not actors, you know? So um, one of my fondest memories was, was, and then the team, the writers, as we went on, became really cool because they'd be like, the guys would volunteer for, for the female roles, you know, and, 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 but, you know, and then that was kind of fun. And uh, sometimes you'd get like told you had to be the role and you just kind of did it, you know, just roll with it. Yeah. And, and you did it. Um, and one of my favorite memories was of our, uh, narrative coordinator, um, I don't know when it first happened, but he got assigned the role of Mantis and mm. um, he did not act at all, but he <laughs> embraced that role and he performed it. Um, it. And from then on in, he was always performing Mantis for us, even in front of the actors themselves. And, it was, and could... the actors, bless their heart. I mean, Mantis wasn't one of the actors that was the core five guardians. But, mm. So he played that and bless their heart. They just were like, they embraced him doing it and was like, That's I love cool. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now found him on Broadway in, in a various theatrical productions. He left the game industry. Yes. Amazing. So, so did you find yourself, uh, uh, the, the, the team adjusting a lot of the dialogue? Is there any instance that there was a sequence that you're like, Oh yeah, that's, that's gold. And then a table reader like, Ooh, yeah, that <laughs> we need to rework that. Because that, that's something I experience on other game and often just on the the logic of what is said when and when you have people expressing it, like this is not clear at all for someone that's just hearing this for, for the first time. Is that part of the elements that were you know, adjusted uh, along the way? Yeah, I mean, the adjustments would come, like I said, we would just read it out loud. The, the writer would be taking their own notes. Then other writers would volunteer to give to say, hey, send me that script and I'll give you written feedback on it. Um, and then of course I am always giving written feedback on scripts, but uh, what ended up happening would be like, they would go through a round of the writers themselves before it would come to me. And what they told me happened a lot was, um, it helped improve the quality of the jokes because one person, you know, you'd have a joke on there and, and people would be like, mm, okay. And then, but someone else would say, Hey, try this, you know, and then, and then someone else would riff on that and go, no, 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 this, this. And then in the end, um, I think what was pretty amazing about it is sometimes the writers themselves no longer knew where the joke came from. They didn't know whose who's script was who. Um, and I know that at one point, like the um, one of our our other coordinator was present during one of the, the sessions with the actors. I couldn't be in attendance. And it was, I think it's Lady Hellbender in the game and she's saying something very about Adam Warlock and, oh, isn't he a beautiful piece of candy kind of thing. <laughs> and and she, so the coordinator writes to us says, who wrote that line? Because, oh my God, she performed it so incredibly well. And the writers were like, I don't know, it wasn't my script, it wasn't my script. Wasn't. And it was like, and I was sitting there going, well, it had to be either 
Craig or Ethan, because both of you had your hands on that script at one point. And then ultimately someone else checked through our files and said, oh, it was him. And he was like, I, I don't remember. That's so funny. That's so, well, that's that a big, pretty good team chemistry there. If yes. you know, it, it's just open creativity and it doesn't really matter at the end of the day who landed the best joke or, 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 or whatnot. So that's, uh, yes. that's great. Yeah. And, I, and that's why I would do the script reads again, because I think the script reads built that chemistry. Yeah. 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 And it's some funny like, ideas. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, David. Yeah. And you want to have the, the best of both well, the very wealth thought out, structured, organized way that a writer is going to, but still benefit from the more improvised. Uh, yeah. Uh, that, that is often either happening on the shoot or even better yes. in the table read, because then you can already catch it and be more efficient on the, 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 the shoot afterwards. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. some things that... did, like when we were talking before about the actors changing it, um, they actually contributed some of the good jokes too when we were on stage. We had a good scene. We had, uh, there was one, I think, particularly I remember is the scene where the guardians are confronting, well, Lady Hellbender has, is about to sick her, her monster on them. And um, I can't remember what the original line in the script, but um, she's, she says something like, do you know what I did to the last people who tried to defy me? And we had a line in the script from Star-Lord, Star -Lord, I don't know what it was, but then I think it was either John who played Star-Lord or Alex who played Rocket. I know Alex came up to me and I don't know who said the line, but they said, they said, um, well, what if he says, you let him go? And I was, that wasn't the line we had in the script, but when they said it, it was like, this is just perfect. You have mm -hmm. to have Star-Lord say to this lady, you let him go? And that was cool. So we'd have that happen on the floor as well. Awesome. Yeah, Brent, I think, I think that, you want to yeah, I just, I was, I, it, she, I think Mary just covered it though, is it was that I think when you do this, <clears throat> this idea, the, this idea where you put it, put it out there and let other people just riff on it. That's where some of the best gags and some of the best sort of can like perfect in the moment sort of inspirations will come from. Cause it's difficult. Like I, I would imagine for a writer, like you're obviously, you know, in the, you know, in the business of putting together things that are funny sometimes, like that would have been one of the most difficult things about writing, I think for this game, because we all know that comedy is probably one of the hardest things to write for uh, because it, you know, it, it, unlike a drama or, you know, some sort of typical um, sort of narrative uh, game, uh, it's if 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 you try to be funny and you're not, it really falls flat and it can really turn people off. So yes. it was a lot of I'm sure bravery there and and I guess trying to capture that lightning in the bottle when it could when it could present itself by just having moments. Of, and I think that that's part of the that, that makes a lot of sense too because you know having key interfaces in time where that can happen could control some of the chaos and noise that it could also generate when you actually open it up for people to like say hey you have any ideas what are your thoughts because if that was happening literally all the time it would be impossible to get anything done right right so, i mean at some like, point you have to step in and guide it um yeah. and even at that you can go too far um mm. like like yeah, I mean, one-upping and one-upping on the jokes, and then then the whole team falls in love with the joke, but then I look at it, I'm like, guys, right. yeah. uh, we, we, yeah. I, I can't. we got to pull it down. It's like, if yeah. I don't pull it down, then then uh, yeah. is going to pull it down, or then yeah, yeah. Marvel yeah. will pull it down. Um, yeah. But it was amazing how often um, things got in, and I'm not even talking about jokes, and I'm talking about ideas that got mm -hmm. in to the game that the writers came up with. Um, and and they kept expecting, they were like, they told me afterwards, they was like, we kept expecting this crazy idea getting shot down. 
uh, by you or <laughs> by JF or by Marvel. And it didn't. And and they were like, we're amazed at how many of our crazy ideas did not get shot down and are in the game today, um, which wow. was fun. And, and, you know, if they have a good idea, it's, 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 and it works, it works. So speaking of crazy, down? speaking of crazy ideas that got somehow made it through to the end of the game, I was surprised to find out that the early tests um, <laughs> scene with 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 lipless actually was in the game. I had no idea, and I when yes. I found that out, I was just like, that is literally hilarious that it just yes. stayed. That's so good. Yes, so. and to explain for the uh, the listeners, that was. When you're working on a game, you do it in phases. So the, mm -hmm. one of the first things you create is the first playable, which is a test of the ideas. And um, I think it was the first playable that we did. And in the first playable, we had written this entire mission that uh, for the Guardians, and it all ends, culminates in this bar scene where they sing with this alien um, to get out of trouble. Um, but it was it wasn't a part of the original story at all. It was just how we're testing our pipelines, how we're testing our builds. But the the singing thing was so it was a battle of wits where you sing, mm -hmm. and it was battle of wits were a big part of our game. We we put them into the game, and so it was such a good moment that even though the whole story that revolved around it was not <laughs> at all going to be in the game. No. And when we rewrote everything, we found a place to put it in. That's um, so funny. And we had to do a little bit of re, re yeah. um, shooting for that, but but for the most part, we kept what you guys had originally done. That's really funny. Okay. Uh, Mary, I'm sure this one is super difficult to want to to answer. But what would you attribute the uh, success, especially of the narrative element of, of this game, because the game has been well received by the critic. The narrative element is definitely one of the eye uh, point of the, uh, the the game. Again, from all the the the, <laughs> the, the critic, uh, best narrative at the game awards. I mean, it's at the top of what you can expect of what you know quality narrative in a game uh, can be, and you know for having you know, tasted a little bit of game production, which is this insanely long marathon for years with hundreds of different challenges. What, what, what do you attribute to the success of, of the narrative element of Guardian of the Galaxy? Um, I guess I would equate it to a couple of things um, or, or, or give it. Number one is the strength of the writing team itself that I built. Um, and I would say the script reads, uh, enabling those writers to learn from each other, to grow and make their own writing stronger as a result, um, and and the humor. So, so number one, I think the strength of the writing team, um, I think a lot of it was our process as well. We knew this was a narratively driven game and we knew narrative would be the most, one of the most important aspects of it. And the game, director supported that and fought for it all along and that you'd often have times in production where people like you know this isn't can't we get this in and it's like but that defeats you know it's like what about this kind of gameplay what if we did this and it's like but that defeats the focus on hanging out with the guardians that defeats this um so some of it was was that and the processes we set in place to be able to iterate it and to be able to keep you know going through draft after draft after draft um, and getting it. Another thing I think is important is um, a lot of times in games you have writers outside of the project. Um, you have, and it, they can it can work. It can totally work to hire a freelance writer, have them not on the production floor. 
I have, in the course of my career, grown to realize that the best way to write for a game is to be implementing the writing in yourself because then you see it, you learn from it. It's just like you learn from hearing people read your stuff. By putting it into the game and playing it, you learn. Um, and we really did a lot of that. And we, we got the dialogues into the game as fast as we possibly could. Um, first with horrible text-to-speech, um, but it's in there, it's playable, you can do it, you can hear it, you can tweak it, etc. So a lot of it was the process. Um, and last but not least, I would say it's just my own personal experience and growth, because I, I could not have done this game when I started. Um, mm. But in the course of my career, learning to trust the writers, learning to explain myself better, learning to give and, and take um, from each other. Um, that's something that I think this project really helped me. I think I was finally ready for that. Mm. Yeah, that, that leads me to a, a, something that we've discussed a couple of times uh, in other streams is this um, evolution from uh, being an artist to eventually a lead manager, supervisor, director, and all that. And unfortunately, in the industry, sometimes this evolution is linked with, you know, pay raise as well. Mm -hmm. So you have very good artists that are not good managers at all that end up in those positions because they want the raise and, and all that. And there's different studios have different solutions for, for that. But how was it for you personally? Because I'm, you know, assuming that you started as a very talented writer that's slowly been recognized and been given more and more responsibility to the point that you're most that you get to a point that you're becoming a more a leader than a, a writer so was that a natural evolution for for you or that's something that you had to or was it intimating in the beginning how, how was this transition for you well for me it it was a natural evolution in my career i mean i started i've been in this industry a long time i've been in like 20 years and when i started um writers were not very valued it was like anyone can write you know programmers mm. are writing the games yeah. and stuff like that mm -hmm. um, programmers and they were writing they were animating <laughs> they were doing everything exactly and some people are some programmers can be very talented writers but not all of them um and it is a skill and when i first got involved i i started as a freelancer um and i would do the work and i would i would send it into and then the game would come out and it, my work had been changed and I didn't understand why and I'm like yeah. okay so that pushed me to say I don't want to be a freelancer I want to get into it because um, I want to be a full-time person so I want to be on staff I want to be there so that I can at least defend the ideas and I can you know see why these choices are made and then from that it ended up being okay now I am the lead writer um, on it and and I'm writing an awful lot, but then I'm also getting pulled, as you said, in all these other directions. Um, and I have support writers who are helping me. Um, and gradually for me, it was a learning experience. Um, and I'm, I'm personally happy with the direction it's gone because for me, what's always been the most important for me is telling the story. Um, and not necessarily through words, you know, I'm, I'm, I like to write. I, sometimes I, feel the only way I can express myself is through the writing. Um, but at other times, it's like if I'm able to express an idea and someone else is able to write it and make it and I can help them make their writing stronger. That's where I am now in a career. Mm. Um, and it, it feels right for me. But I but I fully I work with some of the writers I work with. They, they're like, I never want to be a lead because I just want mm. to write. I just mm. want to do the writing. 
Um, and that is perfectly acceptable as well. Yeah. So it's a little bit the analogy of becoming the conductor. You start by playing an instrument really well, but you're, it's not that you're so much in love with this instrument. It's just about music in general and becoming the conductor that's going to, you know, lead all of those other musicians as fulfilling uh, than yes. uh, anything else. Yeah. And the frustration, I mean, the frustration that I would feel as a writer is I can't get the words right. You know, now the frustration becomes I can't get you to understand yeah, what I'm trying exactly. to say. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I can't or, explain or, it or communicate it well. Or I'm reading what you wrote and I can't understand why it's hitting, how it's hitting me in a certain way. And that's the mm -hmm. challenge I find now is like to read somebody's work and say, oh, it's not quite what is wrong with it, you know, and that can get frustrating to try and figure out, then you figure out what's wrong with it. And then you got to figure out how to explain it. Um, so, so that, that, that for me is the ongoing challenge these days. Which is when you write the, here's the bad version of it. That exactly. <laughs> I got a, exactly. I got the million, I got a million dollar question for you. The obvious question that needs to be asked at this point, of course, is why games? Why writing for games? You could write for so many different things. Like you, you, you mentioned showrunner for a series. Like you, you could just as well, you know, find yourself in Dan Harmon's shoes and like running a show and a team of writers on that show. Why games specifically? Um, because for me, I believe games are one of the most challenging forms of storytelling. Um, because like, right when I started in the industry, the first thing is, is like, I, I was in a room and I'm saying, oh, in the story, you know, in the, in the player, the character does this, this. And then the, my boss at the time says, yeah, but what if the character, what if the player doesn't do that? And I was like, he has to do it. It's essential to the story. And he's like, yeah, but what if he doesn't? And then my mind just kind of exploded because it was like, wow, okay. Wow. Now I got to go to a deeper level and I've got to mm. figure out how to how to to urge them into the directions I want and how to mm. handle what they do and write. So it becomes like layer on layer on layer. And mm. to me, that was super, super challenging. Um, and I loved it. And then the more that I've done it, I've also realized the power of games as a storytelling medium, they're potentially, they have a different power than films mm. um, because they're active. So like as a film, a film can touch you. A film can really, I mean, I cry all the time at really good movies. I laugh like crazy. I come home smiling like crazy, but I'm watching an experience. I'm passive. Whereas in a game, I am the one who's doing the actions and I'm being presented with the challenge mm. and I have to figure out how to solve that challenge. And I, and I take an action and then I see the results of that action. And, and when you wrap that challenge in something uh, meaningful, like an exploration of grief, um, it allows you to feel in a different way than you yeah. could watching a movie. In a movie, you can sympathize, you can empathize. In a game, you can experiment, you can discover, and you can find out for yourself what you believe and what you feel. Um, mm. And stories have the power in games to do that. Yeah, that's very interesting because you're making choices basically. Yeah. As, as, as where, where in, a, in a film you're not like it's funny you use the word sympathy and empathy, which you for sure can still experience as a passive audience member. But what's the next? You know, I always think of sympathy as layer one, empathy as layer two, as far as the connectivity you have to the to the to the narrative in the characters that are being portrayed. But like, what's the next layer above empathy? I think the only thing that can do that is games, is because now yeah. you're like vicariously experiencing those situations. Empathy is I've been in that situation before. Sympathy is I have never been in that situation before, but I can imagine maybe what it would be like 
but when it, in a game there's no it's it's like you are actually in that situation along yes. with this character yeah it's, yes yeah never thought of it and that games way. are i mean games are they're play and why do we play we play to experiment we play mm -hmm. to learn um and so when yep. you can play an experiment and not and be like for example i can take on the persona of someone else like i can watch breaking bad and i can see walter white and i could be like wow and i can get really deep into that but but he's out there okay but now i can get into a game i can become walter white i can see the repercussions of my actions and i can decide for myself whoa that's mm -hmm. too much i think the first time that um when i was working on deus ex human revolution we have the takedowns adam jensen can take characters down and you can do it lethally or non-lethally the whole time i played I was playing non-lethal all the time. And then one day I was like, you know what? I really, really should try a lethal take because I should really see what this is. And I'm playing it and I do the lethal takedown. And I was like, oh my God. And I threw the controller away because of the Amazing. animation, because of what I saw. And I was like, I'm never doing that again. Um, and, and the game allowed me to know that, to discover, yeah. I'm never going to do that again. And I didn't have bad repercussions because I didn't do it in real life, you know? Mm. Um, so there's that sense that the power of a game can, can teach you something. I, I guess that could have went in a different direction that would have been a bit scarier and darker and more sinister. <laughs> it's like, yes, it I think I kind of like this. You, know, I, you never know. You never know. I guess you don't know until you know. Yeah. Mm. And, and do you feel this newfound passion for this um for this challenge of bring uh, of kind of almost manipulating a little bit the, the the player in a direction that let's call it like the the, the main path or you know uh because the all the, the the last few games that you worked on are very choice driven and mm -hmm. i know that at some point i, I asked you mary how do you deal with a story that mm. starts here and finish yeah. there, there, or there, but with so many. And how did you? So is that something that you're like, ooh, that's a cool challenge, and I'm going to push it to the next level with the level of complexity? <laughs> that was. I like the challenge. Yeah, yeah, I like the challenge. I like. I, um, certainly on like one of the things I loved on because you have to control the. I mean, you want to give choices, and choices result in you know, retake stories in certain directions, but you have to control it because you've got a production budget um, and you can't just do this. And, and not only that, you have to make sure everything makes narrative logical sense. Um, so, so one of the things I loved on, like when I was writing for Human Revolution is to put in those choices in a conversation and say, okay, so now as a player, I can say this or this. And, and it's like, how do I, make those distinctly different but eventually bring the conversation back to the same end point so that the story can go on and the experience that mm. the player has player a and player b can be different but they still have the same kind of experience their 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 interpretation of, or the, the way they get there is different but they get there all the same so that's the challenge that i really really enjoy doing um i love doing it in the writing um although it can get frustrating because you'd be like this this branch choice it doesn't go anywhere there's nothing you could say after that so how do i fix mm -hmm. that you know um but and then taking it on the bigger level of the story structure itself is is a big challenge yeah is that something that the, the team would visually map out in terms of all the different branch and it comes back here or is it, what is would, the way to keep control of, of, of all of all of this i'm trying to remember all the things we've done um when I would write just a dialogue, 
I believe it or not, I just did it in Word and then I would just keep it in my head. I didn't have flowcharts, but flowcharts mm -hmm. would be made afterward to mm -hmm. help everybody else understand it. Yeah, I saw um, some of them. Yeah. yeah, and flowcharts certainly were, were <clears throat> vital when you're on <clears throat> the set for the actors to understand like, oh, okay, where is this all going? Um, so, but from the overall story, um, yeah, <laughs> I don't, it's funny because I'm like sitting there and I know these flowcharts exist, but I think a lot of them were done after production when we had to test. So they weren't actually done during the course of production. I, so when I think about it, a part of me is like, yeah, sometimes you really are like, it's a miracle we did everything we did. <laughs> <laughs> what you would say among all the challenges that, that you guys had on Guardian of the Galaxy, which, is there one that, that stands out? Uh, maybe even at a point that during production, like, oh my God, how are we going to handle this part of, uh, of the production? I don't know if any one stands out. Certainly, like I said, the challenge of, of maintaining the coherency in the story when we're writing it out of order. Like I remember at one point, um, because one of the things that happens in the course of the game is the relationship between um, Drax and Gamora changes over the course. So, you know, in the beginning, he's like really, you know, on about her being, you know, the harlot spawn of Thanos and a murderess and all this stuff. And in the end, he's the one who he's the first one to basically say, we accept you, Gamora. And so we knew that this would happen, but we're writing scenes out, we're writing chapters out of order. And I had, as I'm reviewing them, I'm kind of like, okay, wait, 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 what chapter are we in? Okay, we're in chapter six. He shouldn't be calling her that anymore. We have to make sure that he's calling her, you know, woman. And we have to, you know, but we're not sure. I mean, I remember feeling like, oh my God, I'm just, I know that by the time we get to <laughs> 10, right. he's saying this, but I'm hoping. Exactly that it's working. Um, and a lot of that was hope, but we kind of, so we, we didn't know exactly, we didn't plan it out exactly, but we had that master vision ourselves. Um, so that was definitely a challenge. Um, yeah. another challenge That's was crazy. just getting, getting the production schedules, you know, to, to meet and to do it and, and get everybody on board. And, and another big challenge, not necessarily narrative related, but a challenge in any game is keeping people focused on, the outcome you know and and uh, like you when you start a game it's in your head you see it but not everybody else can see it and as people are starting to work on it production goes through times where people don't believe they're like this isn't working this won't work and you have to kind of rally people to, to say you know it will you have to trust it you have to trust the process you have to go that's a big challenge too yeah. You know, on, on sets for film and television, they have people that are called um, um, continuity, continuity experts. They're usually an extension of the writing team. Typically, they're they're experts of the script. And it's it's a very, very, very difficult job, even in a very linear sort of experience. But so when you, in, you introduce things like branching dialogue, that that particular problem it just becomes exponentially more difficult to solve. So trusting the process is for sure. Uh, uh, it's, you, you might as well just, you know, it, it, it would require quite a bit of faith, I think, in the, in the moment to not paralyze people um, from not being able to move forward when there's all these things that are, you're trying to keep track of all at the same time when you're doing a shoot. Um, yeah. We are we we're coming up on the half uh, half an hour left 
Mark. Um, but I did want to get into one other little topic that I think is particularly interesting and really novel, I think, um, and very unique in many ways uh, that was introduced in Guardians of the Galaxy. And that's the, the banter system. We called it the banter system on the floor. But I mean, for those who haven't played the game, and it's not really going to spoil anything. It's just, it's just an ingredient, one of the many narrative ingredients that are in the game. You want to talk a little bit about that? Because I, I was always really fascinated by the idea and, and, and the final execution looks really, really good. It really felt good. So I'm just curious. It's just your thoughts like what is it exactly what, what the hell am i talking about for people who don't know and like uh just some of the thought process behind it and the difficulties and the uh the sort of the the victories okay um well when we talk about the banter system basically like you said you when you're playing the game you play star lord and star lord is wandering around exploring all these environments and he's always got the four other characters with him they're always there they're always present um and because we want to be hanging out with the guardians and because the guardians just never shut up we had to <laughs> basically have them bantering all the time um and star lord being a character he has to kind of answer back and stuff so we I had to this. create this this system in which the guardians are always talking um at times you can interject into the conversation um, and choose the flow of the conversation one way or another. Other times you can you can be completely ignoring it because they're going off on their own. And then we also incorporate into that banter system the idea that, okay, but they're alive, they're alive characters. So if you're wandering off the beaten path and you're going somewhere else, they're gonna notice and they're gonna talk mm -hmm. about it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we had to basically write all these different in-game dialogues that were going on. Um, and in terms of that, the in-game dialogue, it's it has to always be like keeping you on track, telling you the story, being real, being just them chit-chatting, carrying them the themes of the game, et cetera, et cetera. So, and the you, the player, are moving the character through the game in real time. So you can't. One of the big challenges is you know you can't have this like ten-line dialogue yeah. that's going on because you only have room for you know. That's right. I mean, well, the minimum amount of room you have if the player is walking is maybe four lines, but then if the player stops, the player may, you know, and four lines won't cover it. And how do you do that? So they created smarter minds than mine, created these wonderful interlapping systems that would enable us to write um, dialogue in ways that we'd have short conversations and then they could get mm -hmm. strung together longer. They could get, yep. um, interject and all that stuff um and so it from a writing task what it ended up being is people had to write tons and tons and tons oh my know? god and so much again we broke it into to pathways so that we'd have here's the main critical path dialogues that have to get in to it here are a series of reactive things that because the player might be looking at this let's tag something for that and you know we'd write those kind of banters then we'd also write just conversational banters where they're just basically shooting the breeze with each other. Yeah, um, yeah. And there are different systems that we're working in the game to call those dialogues. Um, but then it doesn't end there. So we do it, we write it, we record it. Then there's an entire team called the, we named them the Loco Banter Team, Locomotion <laughs> and Banter. Because this team, which consisted of writers and level designers and scripters and um, I think maybe even animators or whatever, they they went in and they had to put the animations on the characters and, and tell those characters where they're going to stand, what are they going to do, and put in the facial for the, the expressions and emotions and stuff to make them feel alive. Um, 
And part of the process of doing this, of implementing it, you'd have the writer was involved because you'd say, oh, guess what? This dialogue doesn't fit. Okay. Yeah, the space and level design. Yeah. yeah, the level design doesn't fit and there's no way. So the the my lead writer, Casper Hartman, was the one largely leading this effort. And he would he would go in and he would change lines, uh, recorded mm. lines of dialogue. So we weren't re-recording, but he would find a line of dialogue oh, that fit from Star Lord and he'd he'd chop up dialogue so they make sense and um <laughs> just by swapping wave files. Yeah, it's it's editing with what exists. Mm. So yeah. Um, and just to get it in there and get it as perfect as we possibly can. I really, what I really love the most about that system is that it's like, it's layered on top of the, what you, the player would already be exploring the space, right? There was exploration was a big part of this game because the worlds you would visit were like characters in them themselves. Like they've, they wanted to, 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 to just check it out, check every corner. So if the player's doing this, it also is a really great opportunity to, instead of just be hanging out with a bunch of these AI controlled robots, why not actually make those times that the player could be further bonding with his characters? Like you could pick, there's arguments breaking out with the guardians. And then as star Lord, you could decide to side with one of them or the other. And then the other one's all pissed off. And like, and, and it really feels like you're hanging out with a bunch of people, which is going right back to the very, very beginning on the, the conceit of everything you wanted to do was this game should feel like your star Lord hanging out with the guardians of galaxy and, and, yes. and that really had felt helped galvanize that, that, that it, rather than making all those exploration moments, a missed opportunity to do some of that. Yeah. 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 And it was fun because like we wrote so much, you know, cause some of the so system much. was literally just write Like, like, like write <clears throat> eight or 10 dialogues that could just play if nothing else plays. And those might randomly get called in through the system. Um, so, and we'd have people like say, even the game director who played the game over and over and over, he was like, I'm still hearing dialogues I never heard before. <laughs> playing the same level. I'm playing the same level there and I'm hearing, I never heard that one before. Um, so that was kind of fun. Um, I think we should probably go to chat. Chat, if you have any questions, um, I know there's a couple in there, I can start grabbing them, but if you have any, now's a really good time to do it. Um, it's nice to be able to pick Mary's brain while she's here, especially if you've got thoughts about how narrative is done in a game. Um, but before we do that, Mary, I think I have a theory as to what's causing the clicking sound. I oh. want you to try to do something really quickly for me. I believe <laughs> you, have a web, you have a webcam, and I think that's where the audio is coming from. It's the autofocus on your lens. So if you check the, um, there's a little gear, bottom right, a little gear thing. If you go in there, you should be able to go into the audio and sh make sure that your out audio um, output is set to... I think the, uh, the the headphone jack that I think you're using is I think you're using so an you're Apple. So you're talking the gear the gear on my like you're talking going to my systems. Yes, you are, don't you know, in, in 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 this interface. So you if you take a look right interface. here in this at the bottom, um, you very bottom of the screen center, you should see a little gear. You should at least. You see that? I don't. Ne I next to where your mute button. Yes, is. I see it. I see it. I see it. I see it. Yeah. Click so you on want that. Me to do what? Yeah. So we're doing real time. Real time. Uh, <laughs> Um, go into audio. Yeah, go to audio. Yeah, and then if, uh, the audio input. What's it, it say says there? Default. Default. Yeah, click on that and then choose something that would probably be headphone or something like that. If I get lost, I'm picking. The I promise one it'll I be fine. Think. You can go. You can always go back to default, so you should be good. Can you still hear me? Yep, and I fixed the problem. Okay. Yeah, you fixed the problem. I <laughs> hope. Let's see. Yeah, so now. <laughs> wow. You, you, your your team can thank me later for this. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure they've all been like, "Why is why does Mary's feed keep purring at me?" 
Oh God. Yeah. I, I, because a couple of times I noticed it, I, I felt like it would stop every time the lens would stop trying to autofocus. And I'm like, it's gotta be that it has to be. Ah, so, there you go. Well done, Mr. George. Well done. I feel, I feel like Sherlock Holmes right now. Um, okay. Apologies so, for the purring guy. No, no. It, it, it would <laughs> come and go. It was always it's not a big deal. I just it was more. It was more. I think I needed it to know. I needed to know. It must. It was very important for my brain. Okay. So we have a question here from. Oh, David. Unless you have something you want to bring up first. After it's all good. After this. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, this one I don't know if it all fits, but oh, it does fit. Good. Rakshan Raj asks. How do you work? For example, like every day we can't give 100% sometimes we feel lazy or low or some other personal problem. So how do you keep yourself energetic and focused when you're doing the work that you do? Uh, that's a this really a good question. Part of me would say coffee, although I actually don't drink a lot of coffee. I drink <laughs> oh, tea. Yes. I'm out of caffeine. <laughs> so I drink tea <laughs> instead. Mm. Um, there are days when it's very, very hard to to get up especially working from home you know it's kind of mm. like oh, i'm so tired i have to get onto the the computer mm. and stuff um i think a lot of it is uh, i do draw off of the energy of others so i can when i can get with others and start talking with them but but at the same time there's a bunch that i have to actually be quiet and think and all that stuff and and to be honest i learned early in my career that there are times when you have to listen to your your body and if it's telling you i cannot focus on this right now you have to not focus on it you have to like go read a book you have to go watch a movie you have to do something else um but you also have to force yourself to keep showing up at the page and sometimes by just showing up on the page mm. as i start working on something it it activates my imagination and once the imagination yeah. gets activated then That's i right. get the power and i get the energy mm. yeah you just need that first dopamine hit and then once that that just sort of cascades into getting sucked right into it i guess Exactly. Yeah, it's that's that makes a lot of sense because if you think about it, the writing in a game is what inspires a lot of people. Like it, it inspires so many things. So it's like who inspires the people who are building the inspiration, inspiration for everybody else. I guess caffeine and I guess in a way just just the work itself. Like you said, you let the you yeah. let the project take you in. Yeah, and I and I do also what inspires me a lot is I do suck in so much media. I mean, I watch mm. television, I watch movies all the time, I read books all the time, and I'm I'm constantly I'm very story driven, so I'm always looking mm. for the stories, and then I think mm. all that just gets into the melding pot of ideas, and and then I want to make it mine <laughs> as opposed to someone Naturally. else's. Uh, I'm curious, Mary, are are you still meditating? Yes, I meditate yeah. every every morning every morning because i actually started two and a half years ago and you're the one that convinced me that i should oh, do really? it, oh, do it. Yeah, i remember yeah. that you told me oh you should try this calm application it, it works and i was at a time i think that we were both stressed out on the project that we're working on i said oh give it a shot and never look that same thing new morning yeah. routine half an hour um yeah. do you feel that it's one of the many different tools that is helping you to to, to cope yes. with uh, stress anxiety everything that goes into tr big triple a uh, production yes i mean i do meditate every morning um just for like 10 minutes 10 11 minutes maybe maybe a bit longer um and what the reason i keep it up is because i have actually seen the moments in which like because in a creative endeavor you can get angry when your ideas aren't being accepted mm. or you can't when someone isn't and there have been times when i've been in moments and like these very passionate conversations and i've realized okay wait a minute step back take a deep breath 
deal with this again. And that has, that has helped me a lot. So um, it does, it definitely does help me to recharge and it helps me to, to stay focused at times um, and to handle a lot of the stress, a lot of the stress. Awesome. I, uh, I've been told many times that this would be good for me, but apparently <laughs> I've, I've chosen the path of darkness <laughs> and chaos chaos reigns in my mind okay we got another question here from um sunny mathurja i'm saying that wrong I, I suck at names but i'm gonna give this uh i give it a shot anyways question where would you get started with narrative design for games slash animation based on what you know now is there something like is there the equivalent of the 12 animation principles for writing for games so hmm. I don't know if you, you, you 12, are you familiar with the 12 animation principles? They're like, no, basically you can think of them as in, in, ingredients that go into making good animation. So okay. like I come on, not a formula per se, but just like a checklist of things you should try to always remember um, when you're making something, when you're animating. So is there something like that for writing? Um, for me, for writing, obviously the hero's journey is, is one of the big ones is mm, when you're building, classic. when you're building a plot, then the, there's a lot to be said about that hero's journey and oh, understanding yeah. it and then subverting it too. Um, but it's really important to know, okay, where's the conflict? Where's this? Where's that? Mm -hmm. For where I start with care, a lot of times I start with character. And when I'm starting with character, I have my little rules for characters. Like when I'm coming up with a character, I, I start with their personality traits. And I try and find four personality traits that both balance and conflict with each other um, mm. so that it makes for a well-rounded character. And then when I start doing that, then I start building in the backstory of who this person is and how, how that happened in order to flesh out a character. Um, mm. And then I just, um, sometimes it's funny because sometimes back to the earlier question a little bit, I was thinking, you know, when, when I get motivated, well, sometimes the way I get motivated is I just lie in bed and I just daydream story. <laughs> and then I'm just picturing things. And then eventually hey, it reaches a point working. where it's like, you got to go write this down before you forget it. Um, <laughs> so I think that's it. I mean, other than any kind of real 12 principles or anything like that, I don't know. I, I guess it's really more just hero's journey is a big one, character traits, and then understanding the motivations and the needs, the emotions mm -hmm. are very important. For games, theme is a very important thing too, because theme mm. can can unite the game design, the gameplay with the story, um, in ways that make sure that you're not telling a story and playing something else. Um, right. So that's a big one. Uh, there's a follow up question to this, which I think works. Um, what is your recommended reading slash watch list for both learning to write for games and fictional stories that you've drawn the most inspiration from. So you brought up the hero's journey. Um, yes. uh, Joseph Campbell, of course, was the, the author yes. of the hero's journey. It's, it's a kind of a deconstruction of classic storytelling techniques that have been used in some very popular films like star Wars hero's journey, uh, Lord of the Rings hero's journey. Usually there's a sort of a, a bit of a template to the hero's journey that we see echoed and repeated by uh, there are other, other philosophies, other, other good books that you would recommend for people to start reading on this topic. Not necessarily for games, but for writing itself. I, I general. very early on found, um, I'm forgetting her last name, but writing down the bones, uh, by mm. Natalie Ginsburg, I think was, mm. it, it was very inspirational in terms of thinking about how to free up your, your mm. words, how to, how to free up ideas and how to, you know, fill the bucket and, and all that stuff. Um, mm. but it's really, that's really more for just 
writing, not right. structure or anything like mm. that. But that was a big inspiration on me very early on. Um, learning to write for games. I know there's a tons of different books that are out there, but I will admit I don't, I haven't read them um, because I've mostly just done it by, by playing the games, seeing the, the narrative memes that are available in them and starting to create from that. Mm. Um, yeah. I would say per personally, one book that I remember that uh, Dean De Blois had recommend, uh, recommended to to me. It was the uh, director of Hard to Train the Dragon. Was uh, Save the Cat? Yeah, uh, it's one that I really classic. did uh, enjoyed. Um, and also to me, the uh, masterclass on masterclass.com of uh, Aaron Sorkin. Oh yeah, that's a good uh, one. I felt mm -hmm. that was very that. very uh, good. Uh, at least for someone like me, that is. I, familiar with writing a narrative process, but it's not my profession uh, at all. It, it was a great overview and insight mm. into what it is required to great plot, great story, great characters. So that, that would be my two recommendations there. Yeah, I'd I like to say the cat. Me, yeah. It's cool. Sorry, I, I don't know that one. I'd love to read that. Um, I think for me, I've, I've learned mostly by doing and sharing my work with others and listening to what they have to say about it. Because a lot of times I find when writers when writers give me their work, they then feel that they have to explain to me everything. And it's like, don't, don't try and explain your work. Just give it to someone and listen to what they tell you they're getting out of it because you're already biased and stuff. So mm -hmm. hearing that and, and as the writer of the work, you hear what they're saying and you can reject what they say, you know, but it helps you to understand, oh, I thought it meant this, but you're telling me it meant that, huh? Now, how can I fix that to say more clearly mm -hmm. what I wanted? Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, just for a little perspective on the Save the Cat uh, stories, to, uh, books, by the way, there's a couple of them. Um, unfortunately, the author has, 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 has since passed. Um, and I'm trying to remember his name for some reason. I can't I can't come to me right now. But what they do is they, they, they had a philosophy that that all the stories that exist today and ones that will exist in future will fit into one of these several categories. Yes. I don't really buy hundred percent of this idea, but I do think it's a very interesting way to start when it, because it, it try to think about learning how to write. It feels like you're just staring into the abyss. Like where do you even start with something like that? So I feel like there it's good training wheels, especially for people who may not be wanting to be writers, but want to work on a, on a, on a production like film or games where there is going to be a story. I find that these kind of things help allowing the artist to interface with story. They understand the structure of it better so that when they see writing coming to them, they're like, oh, I get, of course, that's that's so important right now. It's a pivotal scene because that's the moment where this happens. And it's just I find it, it helps a lot. So I think I would encourage all animators to definitely read some of these kind of books because I think it really helps you connect a little bit better with, um, you know, the, the person who's sitting next to you, what they're doing. You know, um, there is. Um, uh, there is uh, another another one that uh, I would recommend to the mix here would be Scott McCloud actually is a cartoonist and he wrote a bunch of books that were themed on like um, understanding comics. And there's a bunch there's some very, very, very golden nuggets in these books. If you're if you show it, I like it too, because it's a very visual storytelling as well. So if, if people are listening, and they want to check that out, that would be another one I would recommend. Um, there is uh, uh, and then just really quickly, A to the J brought up um, speaking, I brought up Dan Harmon a little while ago, which is kind of funny um uh which is um uh, you can see it in chat because you can't click on this link at all but that uh, there is a great youtube uh, apparently video of of him explaining some of his uh, his philosophies um let me bring it back to this here so juroku 
uh, asks, how do you approach writing for, uh, for comedy versus drama? Like in Guardians of the Galaxy, the, the promises for Drax and Nikki. Nikki. So I guess because you have a, a, a lot of both in that game. There's drama and there's definitely comedy. So how do you switch gears and like what's your philosophy behind making that work? Um, well, it's funny because I, I always tell the story about when we first knew we were doing Guardians of the Galaxy, I looked at my creative director, JF, and I said, oh, my God, you're kidding. You want me to do comedy? Comedy is impossible. I don't, I'm not, I can't do comedy. Mm, yeah, you're you know? killing me. Um, you're killing me. And I think for, um, but, but when you play the game, it's very, very funny. And I think the reason we were able to succeed is number one, I have very funny writers who are very, very good and strong. Very talented, um, funny. Yeah. But the other reason is because we approached the comedy uh, from the characters. We weren't setting out to be like, we're not trying to wisecrack. These guys aren't characters who are wisecracking. These are characters who, when you understand who that character is and they are just being insanely true to who they are, and it's the conflict between mm. who they are and who everyone else is. So that when yeah. one character says something, they mean it wholeheartedly. They don't mean totally. it as a joke. They just mean yeah. it, but it comes out sounding mm. funny. And then the other ones react. So yeah, that's, especially Drax, right? We, yeah, especially Drax. And that's how we approached um, the comedy of it. And then for drama, it's it's basically recognizing, you know, the emotional intensity that you're you're going for here and trying to make it as real. The promises for Drax and for Nikki, without giving too many spoilers, because I did that earlier and I'm sorry. Um, they <laughs> um, they're very emotionally intense. And some of that is drawing on my own personal experience um, to to basically understand where those emotions are coming from and, and how to push them forward and recognizing it. Um, and then other times it's recognizing, like one of the scenes I'm most proud of is, um, and, and again, this is a scene I did not write it, but I had a major influence on how the final thing came out, which is the scene with Gamora, which I won't spoil too much, but I'll just say with Gamora, she has a very intense moment when she shares something really, really heavy and the comedy comes in at the right mm. moment to make it work um, because uh, so it's a scene that kind of does this like we're starting out like whoa okay this is intense what's happening here and then this thing is admitted to and then her worst fear is that people won't accept her and then how do they do it they turn around and they 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 do it through comedy and that makes it happen and I remember when we were working on that scene they were the writers were writing the scene and they were making it all very serious and then they were having you know, the serious reaction to it, to, to say, you know, the serious way of saying, we love you and we understand it. And I was like, no, 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 this is the moment. This is the moment you have to turn it around with a joke because it's got to do it. And that pushed that scene further. So it's, sometimes it's a balance. It's a feel. Um, yeah. And it's iteration. It's writing again and again and again. And and trying those ideas when you do the table reads, for instance, and yes. seeing how they play out and getting a feeling of the vibe and tone of that conversation and tweaking it and tuning it and constantly revisiting. It's uh it's uh it's a definitely not a um it's not a straightforward process writing for anything, I guess, like just because of how often you have to go back and rework. And especially when you're, like you said, the game was not written chronologically. It was the way it was done for logistical reasons was it was broken up into different sections. So that, that would even in, create an even more intense sort of need to go back and revisit things just because, you know, suddenly you, you know, you, you, something happens earlier on in an earlier zone that you didn't do right away that, that now has huge impacts on what happens later that you already wrote. And now, now what do you do? So yeah, I can imagine the amount of back and forth. 
Um, I um, do I have any? I'm looking for more questions. Uh, I have one. Uh, actually, uh, Mary, you discussed of the uh, uh, relationship, uh, the uh, creative relationship that you have with the creative director, uh, GF Duga, and you guys have been working together for what, like 15 years at least? 15 now? years. Uh, Eidos, been... Eidos is, my, is celebrating his 15 year anniversary when we both started together on that. Because uh, so, yeah, I remember that re recently <laughs> we've been speaking about. Um, you know, when we uh, build, and it was actually with uh, uh, Steve uh, um, uh, Tchaikovsky that, you know, building a team and having trust and, and how, you know, those creative bonds that you, you, you have or make everything uh, easier. Uh, so is that something that, do you feel that, okay, you, you, he's creative in his own way and he's very narrative driven and, you know, you represent the narrative. So, so it's kind of this bond that, that maybe you guys will continue to work for another 15, <laughs> uh, another 15 years? Um, working with JF has been really, really great. I think we, we naturally complement each other. So um, like he can, one of the things that I think he's really good at, he, is, he does have a narrative drive to him. So he understands narrative, um, which is very, very helpful when you're the narrative person on the team. Um, and he also has, um, one of the things, cause I can get lost in all the creative stuff. I can just, you know, you get this, 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 and then he can like drive through the logic mm. sometimes for me, um, mm. where I'm like, uh, you know, I'm feeling it. I, and I know this is right, but I can't tell you why it's right. But then he's able to kind of latch onto a logic and make things make more sense. Um, so that's been very, very, um, very, very useful in stuff. Um, so yeah, it's, and it's been, it's been a really good relationship, to a creative, a creative partnership has been very, very strong. Um, yeah. like all relationships, you know, the more you're in, them, the, <laughs> sometimes there's, well, especially when you go in production, really <laughs> I mean, when you go in, in production, I mean, when everything goes well and, you know, everyone is fun around a, a beer at, at the end of the day, but, but there's so many tense moments during production that even with the people that you enjoy the the, the most the you know there there's going to be a, a lot of this that that happens and i think it's a it's a good thing because if you always agree with the, the same person maybe it's uh there there's not enough you know creative clash there that can eventually build to get the best idea instead of just whatever first, first idea is uh yeah yeah there has to be there have to be moments of disagreement in order to make a stronger a stronger thing and then when you see each other when you when you're able to finally see the other's point you can take out the value from it so yeah mm -hmm. brent i think there was one more question that you uh that we yeah that's there was one there was one from Scott. Yeah, I'm going to bring it back up. So it's it's similar to a question that was already asked, but it's a bit more rather than the difference between comedy and and drama. You know, what is the from your perspective? How what was it like coming from you know your your foundational sort of years of writing for games in a game like Mist, and then now finding yourself in this sort of interesting action game with like an ensemble cast and having a you know mixtures of the drama and drama and comedy in there like. Like, how do you, how do you, how do you make the writing for, so how, so I guess the question is, how do you write, how do you do the writing for point and click games? How do you make them engaging like back when you were doing it back in the day compared to what you did here? Um, well, back in the day with the, the point and click games, um, a lot of that 
I would say one of the key differences between Myst and say an action game is is that Myst the the storytelling is in the environment. Um, the storytelling is in the world building. So you're creating documents and documents of world building to justify all these different puzzles that you're doing or 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 stuff. Um, and and you're allowing the player to to discover the story through environment, not entirely through, but a lot of it through the environmental storytelling that they're seeing um, and crafting the right things there. Um, and some of it is also a difference in terms of the simple, you know, like, okay, so an action game is a different genre. It's um, an action game may be something that requires far less, the dialogues to be much tighter, much shorter, much more, um, action than, than say reading through a book or reading all that stuff. So um, the first thing is knowing the genre you're working for. Um, and by that, not just the genre in terms of, well, action game, is it a mystery story? A mystery can be thoughtful and slow. Is it, is it in, um, you know, an action game? Is it a stealth game? Is it all this stuff? And knowing the kind of genre you're working for, knowing what are the narrative tools that are at your disposal for telling the story. Um, I mentioned the environmental storytelling, but there'd be things like in, let's say, a Clancy game, you know, you have the, the radio briefers that are telling you the story and, and then you'll have dialogues and cutscenes and stuff like that. So understand what all of the vehicles are that are at your disposal and understand when you're looking at those vehicles, what are their strengths? Um, like a, a dialogue, a, a cutscene is going to enable you to tell emotional bits of story. Um, and yet a briefer is got to be short and tight and get you to your point. So you got to understand that and then you got to build according to that. Um, but a big, huge part of it as well is just building that depth of lore and background, which is something I love to do. And you kind of, you might have to do it on both to make sense, but an action game may not require quite as much. Uh, I know that we're getting uh, uh, almost out of time, but uh, I have one. Uh, if, let's say, we are in a parallel universe and you can choose any project to work on, it could be a game or a movie or anything else. If it's a game, it can be any kind of game. Which, which kind of project would you, if you could choose anything, which is obviously not something that usually happens, but yes. is there a specific you know, uh, challenge or a specific itch that you'd like to? To, to scratch next at, at this point i'll stick with games because i know them so well um every kind of storytelling medium has its own requirements um i love books and, and maybe someday i will write a book but i think there's a lot of learning to be done to understand how how you actually work out you know a, a novel or or stuff um and same with movies it's like um i think games are closer to screenplays than they are to books because uh, so so that might be something um but yeah yeah i think for now i'm sticking with the games um and then what about genre of game what i want to do i'm not what sure yet i honestly hmm. don't know what my next challenge i mean it's true that i've never really worked in the multiplayer field um hmm. so that's sometimes intriguing because it's like well that might mm -hmm. be something new to try but I think VR, I don't think we're anywhere with VR yet, but I think VR mm. is something that would be really challenging and fun to Tantalizing. figure out. So. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Awesome. 
Well, Mary, it's 2.30. Um, we try our best not to overstay our welcome. Uh, I wanted to take this quick moment to thank you for taking the time with us, hanging out. This is David and I's uh, little bubble of, uh, of social activity during the week, and we always appreciate having people in that <laughs> bubble with us. It's a little bit selfish, but it was really nice catching up with you and picking your brain, um, and congratulations on the, the amazing success, uh, you know, the critical acclaim that's been coming in from this game. Um, could not be more, uh, more excited for you. So, thanks, and please... Thanks. Pass that on to the amazing team of writers because I tell them how, if anybody if anybody's in there in the chat, uh, I miss you. You're all awesome. It was a really really good time working with all of you. So, so yeah. So we there you go. You. Uh, <laughs> well, thank nice. you for inviting me. It's been a lot of fun. So good. Fun. Thank you, Mary. That was great. Cool. See you around, Mary, and see you, see you on the next stream, David. Bye. Bye bye. Uh, that was fun. As usual, uh, this is our main main way of, of catching up with people we haven't seen in a long time, really um, talented, uh, very experienced people that have been doing this kind of thing uh, for a while and, and by, by any stretch of imagination could be teaching workshops um, and master classes on, on what they do for a living. So Mary is certainly no exception to that category, having come from working in games, like she said, for 20 years, so many different types of games. I'm sure she's got stories. Um, you know, we only could probably touch the very, very tip of the iceberg today on, um, on, on sort of what it was like to work on the, uh, the many games that she has. Um, and uh, thank you for being here, chat, to be able to soak that up like the sponges that you are. Um, and Pitar, next time, please stop purring into the microphone. I would really appreciate that. Um, we are coming in very, very quickly on um, the, our, our next weekend. I don't, I can't, it's weird. I don't know how that happened. I felt like I blinked and it's already on our doorstep. But as most of you know, we do have our 24-hour Ultimate Animation Challenge um, already ready to rock and roll next weekend. Not this weekend, but the weekend of the 26th, February. If you are at all interested in, um, in, in participating, then uh, maybe Scott would be so nice to just drop the links for signing up um, because you can still sign up. There's lots of teams piling up. It's kind of a little bit crazy just how many people are actually coming in there already. Um, and uh, so we expect a pretty good showing. So if you are so inclined, please do uh, give it a shot. It's a lot of fun. We stream for 24 hours. Uh, we have lots of great guests on um, and um, we uh, try to keep it interesting and fun the entire time while everyone is you know, feverishly working away on their animation during that 24-hour period. Another quick thing that I would like to do is a quick shout out to anybody who uh, joins us for the first time today. I know I noticed a couple people at least rolling in. I actually added a stream, a, a, um, a chat bot in here recently, which allows me to be able to see it when it happens. But where I'm just trying to scroll up to find it. Where did it go? Where did it go? Right there. Oh, no, that's not it. Oh, where? Oh, my God. I literally just had it and it scrolled up and now I can't find it. I'll find it. I'll find it. I'm finding you. There it is. Thank you. Nico, Nicholas Majav, I think is, uh, is, is joining us for the first time today. And if there's others that join for the first time today, then, then welcome, welcome to the community. This is what we do here. We, we do a lot of streams where we have a lot of very, very, um, um, interesting people on that um, all, most of them end up um, either being working specifically with animation, but often like today, we bring in people that are peripheral to that, the types of people that you would be working with on a production. I think it's really interesting to be able to kind of get a taste for this because, you know, a lot of you are looking to get your first job or maybe you want to transition to a different job. Um, so it's always nice to sort of get an idea as to like the other types of people that you might be working with on those jobs. So, um, so yeah, that's what we do. We do this quite regularly. We have our Tuesday night streams where we have Q 
and a sometimes david and i just answer questions from the community either um in real time or you can actually send in your your questions via social media and scott brings them to the uh, to the to the stream and we try to get through them uh we also switch that tuesday night up with other types of formats um that we continue to experiment with um, including sometimes some pre uh, some free uh, public reviews of people that have submitted their stuff uh, in that in the in the um, uh, to be to be possibly raffled off and reviewed in real time um, live during uh, a stream and uh, we also have these these types of reoccurring streams which are the um, um, the conversation with streams where we do a um, uh, we usually just bring in a guest and we just kind of hang out casually and, um, and and enjoy their company and talk a little bit about what drives them, you know, where they came from and why they keep doing what they do. So that's that's about it. Thanks for being here. Have a great rest of your week. Uh, I guess it's Friday, so have a really great weekend and we'll see you on the next one. Cheers, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope you got a lot out of it. Agora Community is a free resource for artists in the animation, visual effects and gaming industries providing daily educational material, free rigs, and assets. We also have a range of experts you can purchase affordable animation reviews from to help you level up your skills. You can check it all out at agora.community. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn for updates on upcoming conversations and free animation quick tips. So, until next time, stay tuned and stay animated.